I was in a crowd of people and the police walked up on us and found some drugs on the ground and he you know grabbed me and locked me up because I was in the, in the area. So they gave me a simple possession, which I was on unsupervised probation. However, when I enlisted into the Navy, the week of me on my way to basic training in San, Ho in San Diego, California, uh, I caught a charge of shooting down a, a Metro police helicopter here in Nashville, the first time they ever brought it out. And uh, Damn, you shot down a helicopter? Yeah. I mean, that's honestly kind of impressive. It's not good that you did that, but yeah, you yeah. shot down a helicopter. That's yeah, and it, it changed my life forever. Cool. Well, everybody, welcome back. You're, you're with Raj Pods right now. I'm Roger Berry, Larry Turnley. Yes. We call him LT, though. So LT did, has a great story. I'm not even going to try to summarize it because I feel like it wouldn't do it any justice. Um, but LT, um, kind of get into where you started, where you were born, and just kind of maybe just like the first 10, 15 years of your life, if you, if you could. Yes. Uh, I would say the first... I would say... Me growing up in Nashville and being born born and raised here in Nashville, uh, you know, it was a lot of great times as well as trying times, you know, coming up in a uh, very dysfunctional family. And, you know, my, my upbringing was very abnormal to a lot of people, uh, being that, uh, you know, my father was uh, incarcerated, uh, I would say, most of my young life. He was uh, in prison, and at one point in time, he escaped prison, so he was on the run for like seven years. He escaped prison? Yes, he escaped uh, Tennessee uh, State Prison here and was on the run for like seven years. Do you know how he escaped? No, I, I, uh, I, didn't, I don't know how he escaped, however. I mean, that's I fucking do, impressive. I do remember being in math class. I was in the ninth grade, and... Uh, it was my, my math coach, my math teacher, he was reading the newspaper. So I'm sitting like right in front of his desk. As I'm seeing, as I'm looking at the newspaper, when I come in, he was outside, you know, like more, most teachers, they stand out front, in front of their door as the students come in at the beginning of class. So when I put, turn my homework in, I look on his desk and I seen a picture in the newspaper. And every, like every Monday or Tuesday, we have newspaper day. And we'll talk about articles that's in the newspaper. And there was a picture of my father in the newspaper. So uh, I see my father in the newspaper, and I, it was one of his mug shots. So I uh, take the paper, flip it over, so that my coach or my math teacher wouldn't be sitting, looking direct at me and looking at the picture and see you know, the resemblance and then see, damn, damn y'all got the same name, you know what I'm saying, because I'm a junior. So he come in, and luckily, you know, we made it out the class or whatnot, you know what I'm saying, but I told my mother when I came home, I was like, uh, they had a picture of, you know what I'm saying, you know, uh, my dad in, in the paper talking about how he escaped and how he was such a good basketball player at Pearl. And they were just talking about how his life kind of derailed, and now he was on the run. 
and my mother, you know, she uh, called the newspaper people and asked them that they know he had a son, and you know they should have been a little bit more, uh, you know, cautious in putting a, a a story like that out without checking with her first. So that, you know, what I'm saying was kind of traumatic in a sense of you know seeing, you know, him escaping, and then for the school officials or for me to be in school and this in the in the newspaper. But yeah, my father was locked up basically my my whole young life. Uh, my mother, you know, she uh, a recovering alcoholic and, you know, coming up just in that type of environment, I still managed to uh, uh, make straight A's and B's throughout school, uh, make the principal list as well as the uh, honor roll all the way on up from third grade all the way up to the 11th. And when I was in the 11th grade, uh, well, I would say when I got in the 12th, I was taking algebra two, uh, chemistry, you know, taking all of these college courses or college classes. However, throughout my whole uh, uh, high school experience, I never talked to a guidance counselor. No one ever came and uh, let me know what opportunities was available by, from me being a who's who among American high school students, because I was who's who among American high school students when I was in school, but never did I get any type of guidance on where they could have taken me. So It was like you weren't even given the opportunity to see past the streets at that it, point. It, exactly. And then the environment I, that I'm living in, I'm living in J.C. Naper, which I have, you know, right here, a product of J.C. Naper, but I got a twist on it because it's more about the man, J.C. Naper. James Carroll Napier was the first black to preside over city council here in Nashville, and this was in the 1860s. I mean, wow. in, in the 1880s, he was the first black. Which is to, way ahead of the time, exactly, right? During, during Reconstruction. He founded uh, uh, Citizen Savings Bank, also was instrumental in getting Tennessee State University established, but that was that's the name of the community where I grew up in. However, it was one of the most dangerous communities here in Nashville and currently still is the most dangerous communities in Nashville. And that's the environment that I grew up in, and it was just only a matter of time before I, you know, succumbed to the conditions that was circulating or, you know, I would say just going on, whether it was drugs, whether it was murder, you know what I'm saying, or gun violence, or whether it was just, you know, prostitution. The list goes on of what I saw when I left out of my front door. Right. Just in my front yard, these are the things that I saw on, on a day-to-day -day basis. However, I was still able to rise above all of that until uh, a week and a half before I was on my way to the Navy. Because I uh, enlisted in the Navy because, again, I uh, didn't want to... Because uh, I dibbled and dabbled in selling drugs when I was 17 uh, but it didn't really yes. start until you were like towards the end of high school. Though. Yes, yes. It so, was you, like, so you think yes. truly if you were given the correct guidance, I mean, we use the, yes. you, know, you said guidance counselor, stuff like yes. that. You think that this, your whole, your life takes a totally different path. Uh, absolutely. It takes a totally di different path because of, I would say, you can just look at what I'm doing now, just fast forward. You know, if I didn't have, no, you know, because I planted in my mind, uh, from the offense that I uh, caught 
as I was on my way to the Navy, which uh, I was on delayed entry program. And while on delayed entry program, I was uh, uh, on my, I had had uh, one of my prior convictions kind of like expunged because I had a simple possession, which uh, I was in a crowd of people and the police walked up on us and found some drugs on the ground. And he, you know, grabbed me and locked me up because I was in the, in the area. So they gave me a simple possession, which I was on unsupervised probation. However, when I enlisted into the Navy, the week of me on my way to basic training in San, Ho in San Diego, California, uh, I caught a charge of shooting down a, a Metro police helicopter here in Nashville, the first time they ever brought it out. And uh, Damn, you shot down a helicopter? Yeah. I mean, that's honestly kind of impressive. It's not good that you did that, but yeah, you yeah. shot down a helicopter. That's Yeah, and it it changed my life forever. You know, that 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 particular moment, it changed my life from, from me uh, knowing, well, having the possibilities of what going to the Navy or uh, building a career or having any type of profession into me, uh, you know, looking at some serious time. Well, walk me through that day. Yes. Walk, if, you, if you would, if you walk me through that whole day, that day for you. Well, it, but the day was the day was so crazy because it was the same day that I had my prior expunge. I had met with like a, a, a naval corporal or a captain, uh, and you know, uh, I explained to him about my prior conviction, and he was like, "Well, we we going to you know we got all that taken care of." Asked me that I want to be a seaman or did I want to be you know just different parts of in the being in the, in, in the navy. So we went through that whole. Uh, 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 process, and you know, when I left the, his office, uh, you know, my mind was on, yes, I'm going to the Navy. And just that night, the police have to come through, and you know, a crowd of people was there, and uh, you know, everybody was sh shouting out, uh, they filming, they uh, uh, uh they filming, uh, it's the police, you know what I'm saying, shoot them out, shoot it out there. And you know me, sure, I'm like, I'll do it. I'll shoot it, you know what I'm saying? And you know, uh, I got a gun and shot it out there. And from there, you know, everybody got to scream my name, you know, LT just shot down, a, you know, shot down because the helicopter spent around a little bit. Then, you know, just zoomed from the area, which it made emergency landing at the, fair, at the fairgrounds here in Nashville and uh, Made emergency landing. Our whole community was smelling like gas, and uh, you know I'm 18 years old. They came and uh, got me like three days later. They picked me up because they were showing it on the news every day, talking about they you know person of interest or whatever. And uh, I was on my way to a wrestling tournament because I used to wrestle in high school, and uh, I was on my way to a wrestling tournament uh, because I'm you know I'm finna go to the Navy in two days and. Uh, my partner, when he came up in my house, he was like, man, it looked like the police are all outside. You know what I'm saying? So I ain't think, I'm like, shoot, ain't no telling, you know what I'm saying? So when me and him leave outside my house, they body slam me and him, throw us down and take us in and, you know, question us. And one thing led to another, and I was charged with uh, shooting down a police helicopter. Did you think you that know? you were going to get caught afterwards? Like, after that happened, like, 
I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like where what was your mental space? Was it like, oh fuck, I just shot down a police helicopter? Or are you still such a product of an environment where it's like, ah, whatever? Yeah, I, it was like all, basically all whatever. It wasn't, I was fucked. It wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It was really no emotions because it was just like, shit. You know, it didn't, it didn't fall down. It didn't, you know, go down in a blaze or whatever. So it was more like it, it really wasn't damaged. You know, it, it's like it really wasn't that bad. No one lost their life. It didn't crash. It didn't do anything like that. It just made emergency landing. So it was like minimized mm -hmm. of how, you know, deep it was. The guy who uh, was, was charged with me, when they caught him, he had the bullets in his pocket of the gun. You know what oh, I'm saying? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, man. No, that could yeah. have gone worse. Yeah. But, but luckily, my teachers in school, they all wrote the judge. All of them, you know what I'm saying, came. Uh, my rational coach was like a character witness, and they gave me probation, being I was on my way to the Navy and so on and so forth. And, you know, they was lenient. And from now, it was like a blessing and a curse because now, yes, I've been freed, but now I'm freed to go out here in society and deal with a police force who feel like I done brought them some harm. So now I'm a target. So, and in my mind, you know, I'd already accepted that I wasn't uh, going to get an opportunity to, you know, work at a decent job and make a, a decent livelihood because, you know, I got a altercation with law enforcement. And you have a literal target on your back yes. at that point. Yes, yes. So, yeah. It didn't matter what you did. They were, they were just trying to fuck you no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what ultimately happened. You know what I'm saying? That ultimately happened, which I wind up, uh, uh, as time went on, getting shot by the police. Police shot me here and there. How many times? They shot me once. Damn. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, every time I got pulled over by the police, it would be, i say, five to ten police cars pulling up. You know, because it had on my, in my, uh, in my charge, or when they called my name in, homicide on a police officer. So that's what was coming back. So it was like, that's the, this is the type of person that y'all done apprehended, y'all done nabbed. You know, whenever I get pulled over, is I remember one time I was in Kentucky, I was coming from a concert, and you know. Going over the speed limit a little bit, you know, so wind up getting pulled over by, it was either a, a, a state trooper or a Kentucky, uh, you know, regular police officer. So when they pulled me over, you know, I know I ain't got nothing. I ain't, you know, I ain't, I'm not dirty. So they like, uh, oh, you mind we search your car? I'm like, nah, you can't search my car. You know what I'm saying? They like, well, we'll just wait for a warrant. We'll go to the judge's house and get a warrant, and you'll just have to sit. So I'm sitting on the side of the interstate to the point where I was like, Man, I know I ain't got it. I'm not finna be sitting this cold. Yeah. Look, man, you can search the car. So he wind up searching. He was like, all right, just go sit in the car. You know what I'm saying? So I go sit in his car while he's searching. Then he come back and sit in the car. He was like, what in the hell made you shoot down a goddamn police helicopter? This was his response to me. And he just started, you know, he laughed, but he was like, you know, but this what came back through dispatch. 
So, you know, that's what I wind up, you know, uh, uh, like I said, it was a blessing and a curse from that. And, you know, ultimately I got wind up uh, being sentenced to life in prison. I, I wind up getting caught up in a, a drug conspiracy with uh, some people out of California, some people I didn't know. A guy from Indianapolis uh, who I purchased a car from uh, was doing business with them. Through that, he wound up getting caught with like 36 uh, kilos of cocaine. And at the time he got caught with 36 kilos of cocaine, I was incarcerated from when the police shot me. Ah, okay. And so when the police shot me, they violated me for shooting down a helicopter. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm our CCA looking at it on the news because this particular individual, I left him my cars. For one, he couldn't give me a straight title on the car that I purchased from him. And then another car that I had, I just told him to hold it while I go do, you know what I'm saying? Because I think I had like to do like a year to uh, to flatten the uh, probation that I had. Okay. Uh, so while I'm doing the time, I see him, you know what I'm saying, on, on TV. So he wind up catching him. But he had done numerous interviews uh, and my name had never came up. And this is what I found out through his proffer statements that uh, he didn't mention me initially until when they went and searched his house, the police, and they saw my cars. And when they saw my cars, they were like, we don't care nothing about it. nobody else. What you know about him? Yeah, because you got that. And, and it, it all that, what you know about him stems from simply you shot down a police officer. Absolutely. Not simply, but you know yes. what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. yeah. I And that's like, I think, God damn, bro. So you so you, you got off with that, yes. if you will, and then you got in a couple little more a couple bids of trouble. But the reality of it is, is the curse of that is what you're saying was yeah. it just chased you until a life sentence eventually occurred, right? So you get caught with his drugs, mm. or not really with the drugs yeah, no, at all. No, no, you're no, already you're in jail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So how does that approach kind of happen when you're already in jail? Yes. So uh, while I was in JSC with the feds. They got a thing where they call, uh, you know, where they'll have you under investigation. And then they got a thing where they call conspiracy. And the thing about a conspiracy, a conspiracy has five-year limitation. So where, whenever the time, the time starts, wherever the confidential informant or, you know what I'm saying, whoever says this is when the case started, when I initially came to Nashville mm -hmm. and that's when the conspiracy starts so from that time which was 1994 on up to he him wind up uh catching his case which was 1996 that was his, his uh the window where the five-year window started yep. so like I said I purchased a car so that was my reason for dealing with him the only evidence that they had of because they never had me, me and him uh, on a hand-to-hand, -hand, on no conversation, nothing talking about drugs, nothing about selling drugs from one another. They never had nothing on that. Yeah, because that's before yeah. texting and all that stuff, yes. right? Because now well, you still had beepers. So you still oh, had beepers your cell phones, you know what I'm saying, where they can see, well, okay, somebody called this number to this number, but they don't have the phone conversation. But I'm like, the only reason why I called him, because I'm trying to get a clear title. Because mm -hmm. I'm riding around with Indianapolis tags on, because it was a, a, a 1973 uh, Caprice classic glass house convertible. Oh, nice. With, you know what I'm saying, red and white leather interior, 
with the sun sunset, uh, pearl flip-flop uh, paint job. When the sun hit it, it looked like it's maroon, but it's white. And, you know, it was, it was a nice sweet, car. Bro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he couldn't give me a clear title. But anyway, when the police go to his house and they see those cars, it's like the whole investigation swerved around to me. At this particular time, I'm ICCA from getting shot by the police. So how they trick me of me not being knowledgeable of the law is with the feds, for you to qualify as to be sentenced to a life sentence, you had to have, well, three prior drug offenses, which is three strikes, or you can have two prior drug offenses and a crime of violence, which is three strikes, okay. or you can have three crimes of violence, you know, and that's three strikes. But what I had was when the police shot me and me shooting down the police helicopter, those are two crimes of violence. Then with this conspiracy, made it a drug. Third so that made me fall under the three strikes. So again, I'm looking at it when the police shot me that I was innocent. They shot me when I was on the ground. I was on the ground when they shot me. Yes. And I was going to fight it, but I'm looking at the the deal because they like, okay, with your probation that you are uh, here on the violation for, along with this case that you got for getting shot by the police, what we'll do, we'll run that into the case that you are already doing to where the only thing you're going to do for getting shot by the police is two months, and we're going to run that into the charge that you are already serving for violation of probation, which was shooting down, shooting down a police uh, helicopter, which was four years. You know what I'm saying? So I here in Nashville, four years is you, you just had to do 30% uh, of the time. Oh, you know what okay. I'm saying? You don't have to do all of it. And then I played out to two years for uh, getting shot by the police, which the most you would have to do, I think, is – no, it was four months and 18 days. That's all you do, and they kick you out of jail on a two-year sentence. That's what it used to be here, four months and 18 days. After you do four months and 18 days, you automatically, gone, you, you automatically gone. So me seeing that, I was like, okay, I'm just going to jump on – the two years since they running into the four. Right. So after I finished this, the, the year, I got both of them out the way. I don't have to worry about this no more. But me not knowing that these are two violent offenses, which is two violent felonies. And these two violent felonies is going, although one of them was for four years and one of them was for two years, it still made it to where they was able to give me a life sentence, which that's what they did when I went to trial and uh, got found guilty uh, on two counts out of three uh, in 1997, and they sentenced me to life in federal prison. What's that like when you're sitting there and you hear you're going to prison for life? I mean, that's got to be just surreal, right? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I couldn't even fathom. I couldn't yeah. fathom a year, yes. let alone someone sitting there going, ah, you will never step up, step outside this you know, this prison again. Yes, and, and, and keep in mind, I was 24 years old. At, at 24, hearing the judge tell me when he rendered his sentence, he said, I don't feel that you need to be in society any longer. But then the same judge, 20 years later, said, told the prosecutor, I don't care what type of argument you're going to bring against Mr. Turnley, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to give him some justice today, 20 years later. Went from saying he don't feel like I need to be in society to I'm finna get him some justice today. I don't care what you uh, say.
Yeah, that has to be also extremely surreal when you hear that maybe you're going to be getting out. Um, what was your time like? I know, shout out John Sanders, a.k.a. Jay, yes. for linking us up. Um, we had talked a lot about his experience in jail. He told me some pretty ridiculous stories and stuff like that. Um, what was your experience overall like? And you guys were you guys were in Memphis together, is what yes. you said, right? Yes. So what was your experience like in that particular prison? Uh, well, what in in Memphis or because I went to several prisons. I want to hear it all. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. The first prison I went to was uh, USP Beaumont, which is was the uh, worst prison in America. They call it Bloody Beaumont, and uh, this prison right here, uh, I was like number four hundred and forty eight. On the compound, they had just opened it, and uh, they were shipping a lot of people from various uh, uh, United States pr- uh, prisons to open it up. Which uh, it had just been a riot in Lewisburg between the uh, Aryan Nation and the Muslims, or the Muslim Blacks, where the Aryan uh, Nation killed a Muslim in Lewisburg that triggered off uh, a deadly riot. You know what I'm saying between blacks and whites, which uh, most of those guys, most of the blacks, they shipped them from Lewisburg to Beaumont. So you had that. You know what I'm saying? You know energy coming down there along with people from Leavenworth, uh, also uh, 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 Lompoc, California, and Atlanta USP. So just being down there around all these people, and then psh, being on a plane. Flying on Con Air, uh, you know, and it just reminded me of you know images, you know, uh, of of a slave ship, where the people, you know, you know, are chained to one another, and you up under, you know, what I'm saying, the bottom of the ship, and you just waiting to be fed or be or waiting to receive water. It's the same way when you coming through uh, Oklahoma City at the at the uh, uh, airport, they you you literally go from the ramp, the the airlift, right into the prison. That's I heard. So that's what Jay had told me. He goes, "You yes. never hit the ground. You never hit the ground. You go when the plane door open. You walk right off the plane, right into the prison. Right there, and then it's like everybody coming down. You sit down. You put the shackles on, and everybody just walking together. And it's like hundreds." Yes. And that's a holding facility? Yes, it's a holding facility okay. for men and women. Okay. And and that's where you you know you you, the, the, you transfer. So you find out where you're going there or you may know before you go and that's where you you go to various places. But uh anyway, just seeing that and you know it was it, it was unreal, but I will say that the environment that I grew up in prepared me for all that. Because it was it was it was basically the same kind of setting. It was the same type of, you know, similar people, you know, in these in in these settings where I don't know. It, it seemed like that's how they came up with that whole concept of projects and prisons, where it's just similarities in the two. So in in a weird way, it almost was beneficial for you because you've already dealt with those kinds of things before. Yes. So in a way you were prepared for that. Yes. But it's not going to ever make you better. 
right it'll no. never it'll never really fix what needs to be fixed or like you i like the word guidance that you used earlier yes. when you said guidance counselor but i like that word because it takes you to a different space if you have the right guidance mm-hmm. um which so and, and which kind of leads me to this question you, you know and you had said before you know shooting down the plane obviously wasn't something i'm sure you regret but it's it's it was a curse almost being let off mm-hmm. because it followed you for a while and you were on probation things like that um, what I've noticed for myself even, and I'm not on probation anymore, but the system is meant to keep you in the system. Mm-hmm. The system is not meant to let you get out. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wanted your thoughts on that for your, for your experience and, and what, what you think, because it's like almost gives you obstacles to trip on in yes. a lot of ways based on the conditions of, you know, and they're inhumane in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. Right. And it's like, well, these are just regular things people do. Mm-hmm. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on that is, of course, once you catch a felony, you scarred for life. It's just something that you can't never get up off you unless you are blessed with a pardon from the governor or being I went to the feds, blessed with a pardon from the president. Other than that, you are scarred for life. And the, the being a convicted felon, there are so many barriers in place to where put you in a position you're going to have to risk your life and freedom if you don't have a strong enough support group because there's really no incentives for changing you know it's on you can make all of the extravagant strides you know what I'm saying possible but if you don't have the right connections or know the right people then it's going to be all for naught and then how is that going to convince people who you may be influencing or have some type of impact on and making possibly get them to or persuade them to change. But it's like, okay, but what is it doing for you? Yeah. You know, all the good stuff you doing, but you you still ain't no no better off than me. You still got felonies. Exactly. You still ain't, you know, and although my felonies may, you know, and I'm speaking on someone who may be talking to me, their felonies may just be, three or four years old when mine is 30 years old. So why can't I have this addressed if I don't show change in my life? I don't show that I'm truly on the right course, but yet no incentives. Yeah. It's like, give me a real second chance. Yeah, exactly. Cause I'm sure even, even now, like if you were to get pulled over, yes, they still see that shit, right? Yes. Right. Yes. And that's automatically giving that person the perception of 30 years ago. Yes. There's no chance for, you know, oh, man, it's LT. What's mm-hmm. going on, man? How you doing? Oh, he's a nice guy. He's this. He's that. He's making mm-hmm. changes in the environment. It's just automatically oh, this pops up on the computer. This mm-hmm. is what, what it must be still. And you're probably treated the same way in that, in that manner, too. Right. Well, uh, I'm not treated that way because I'm so much in the public eye yeah. here in the city. I'm so recognizable to where it's, and and that's from me being actively involved in the community, actively involved in politics of what's going on in this city, which, you know, I was instrumental in getting body cameras here in Nashville. And, you know, I have wrote uh, or drafted a bill for justice impacted people to where, they can, or we can have our uh, uh, prior convictions expunged when it comes to housing, employment, and education after 
so many years of no problems, you know what I'm right. saying, with, with, with the law. So by me positioning myself in the public eye, it would make it hard for, you know, them to, you know, harass me because it may bring upon some type of, you know, backlash. ridicule and, back, and backlash, uh, of course. So I'm not, and then, you know, I, I don't, you know, at the age that I am now, which I'm 51, I don't have a lot of desire to do a lot of things, you know, out and about. I I, I love just being in prison, you know, from being in prison, I love solitude. I love to sit and think. I love to try to plan and create different uh, streams of income and just enjoy being free. Enjoy the small things, whether that's just sitting on my porch or just sitting or having the option of going and looking inside the refrigerator because I got options in there then to deal with a commissary list that's just very limited on the stuff that I can get when, you know, I hear it's an abundance of everything that I can have. You so know it really I mean? makes you appreciate what exactly. you like yeah. spoken about. That on a previous podcast with Jay too, we had he had, he had spoken. I, I would love your opinion on this. We had talked about. Um, he goes, man, you don't need, really need any of this stuff out here, you know, like mm. all this stuff that we just take for granted and all this like, mm. you know, the extras and stuff like that. He goes, man, you get out of prison, and you have the ability, like you said, something so small as looking in the refrigerator. Yes, right. And that's got a. Does that still weigh on you now when you're able to, you know, go do whatever you want, or is it still something that you're like, man, I really still appreciate that I'm able to do this now? Hey, right. Hey, that's that's what, you know, which is what led me to write my book. What's your excuse? How I use my prison experience to save a hundred thousand dollars, which I wrote a financial literacy book, and in that book, I t I speak on how in prison we can, you know, make the most out of the least. And they'll give you three outfits. You know what I'm saying? They'll give you a long sleeve shirt, maybe two long sleeve shirts, and one short sleeve shirt, and three pair of khakis to go with each one. And if you're on that compound for 10 years, that's the clothes you're gonna have, unless you damage them and you can go replace them. But you're gonna have three outfits. Now, I hear we feel like we got to have excess, excess in everything. We need 100 outfits. We need, no, but in there, the only thing you needed was a pair of gym shoes if you shot basketball, a pair of no, uh, running shoes if you jogged, and if you play handball, you know what I'm saying, you know, you can play the handball in, in a different pair of shoes, and, and a pair of shoes for visit, and a pair of boots. So maybe three to four pair of shoes is all you need. But again, I hear we feel like we got to have four or five or a hundred pair of Jordans, what you think you can do with that money? Yeah, so, so much. Yeah, so it's just bringing everything in its proper context that life is easy and it's simple, but we make it hard by wanting a lot. We yeah. are keeping up with other people when I'm secure with who I am. What year did you get out of prison? 2016. So you get out, what's your... Like, what has changed about LT from when he went in to when you got out? Enjoying living. Because prior to going to prison, every day I woke up, I was ready to die. Ready to die or ready to, you know what I'm saying, kill something. 
and just kill some as related to someone uh, being an aggressor towards me. So I was prepared, you know what I'm saying, to deal with the threat. So every day I woke up, because I knew I'm out here, I'm selling drugs, so I know, you know, a threat is out here. Of course. You know what I'm saying? So I'm prepared every day to deal with the threat. So that's what I woke up for every day, dealing with the threat. If the threat come, why at the same time making money? But now, you know, it was like when the judge gave me life, he literally gave me life. Because I didn't want to start living until I had life in prison. When I really didn't have no reason to really want to live. Because I was sentenced to actually die in prison. Because life in the feds is death. That's the only way you're coming up out of there. So for me to, you know, and, and all that, that process started just from reading self-help books. You know, and then not only self-help books, reading autobiographies of people who have went through similar struggles and overcame. And not only overcame, I'm talking about surpassed anybody's imagination of what they can do in spite of the odds that they overcame, such as Malcolm X, such as Nelson Mandela, such as Hurricane Reuben Carter. Mm -hmm. You know, stories mm -hmm. like that of people who, you know, went through hell but yet came out and they was glorified by society. I think that makes you such a special person that you actually went into prison and that was when you said, oh, I have a life in, life in prison. There's no light at the end of that tunnel, mm -hmm. but I'm going to still work on me. Yes. Right? And then I'll look at you, bro. Mm -hmm. Like, that's like, it goes to show you, right? God works in the craziest ways. Yes. But, I mean, for you to be able to sit in that space, in that white hot space and be able to say, hey, listen... Um, that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. This is going to be who I am. And you I feel like you would be you doing these kinds of things, even if you were still in that in jail. Absolutely. And I think that's super notable of you. And that's big for, I think everybody out there. Cause if somebody can sit and go, Hey, you know, I got life in prison, I'm never leaving. And then can still decide to make themselves a better person. Right. I mean, it just ends up, everything kind of comes together. It's full circle, right? Mm, yes. Yeah, yes. man, that's heavy, bro. Yes. That's heavy. So you, you get out, and in the in that time, is that when you really kind of got into the activism that you've got going on now? I don't really want to call you. You're not a politician. That's not mm. really what you are. You're, mm. you're more of like an activist. Mm. I think politicians are kind of scummy. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. But I think what you have going on is so great, because I have so many friends that have been to prison and been to jail and all these things, and it's never helped any of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't until, um, you know, I had fucked up and I had told you about my my situation getting fucked up and OD and stuff like that, where I started digging into mental health and who I am and, and what I need to be doing, the right, you know, to get to the right space and be hanging out with the right people. Was that immediate for you when you came out of prison that you wanted to kind of get into that activism and get your voice out there, get your story out there? Mm. Um, is that when that kind of happened for you? No, uh and, and I tell people this all the time. Everything I'm doing, everything I'm doing right now, I was doing in prison. I was not, you know, I was part a part of food strikes. I was a part of uh, uh, group demonstrations inside of prison. I was a part of motivating and inspiring younger brothers who coming in with 30, 40, and 50 years, and they may be 18 or 19, and they take solace in me. <clears throat> because they see, I mean, he got life, you know, and just seeing the strength that I was able to exude even having life to where it gave them hope of 
Okay, and then I show them, look, this is what you need to do. Go to the law library. Follow me down to the law library. And then as my sentence got over when I, my sentence got overturned and got reduced from life to 24 years, it was like it, it, it's possible. You know, and everybody just who 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 did who saw me just diligently studying, diligently working on my case and not taking those denials personal when I filed with the courts, which I got denied over 12 times, but that didn't stop me from still, you know, fighting, still, you know, not not being deterred by that and knowing that I'm not going to die in prison as a drug dealer. That was my motivation. I don't want to die in prison as a drug dealer, you know, because that's not me. It's a whole lot more to my story. And, you know, luckily, that's what that's what's going on now. I was able to uh, be liberated from that sentence, and now I'm showing who what was already inside of me, that person, you know, which I was always a good person. I always looked out for my community, even though when I was selling drugs, I looked out in a way to where families, they was able to provide for one another on Christmas. They was able, you know what I'm saying, to maintain uh, a nice livelihood and the elderly they was taken care of to where they didn't have to worry about any any problems when I was in the community or I was around I always looked out for my community when I got out in 2016 I just wanted to do things on a whole nother level which I started the annual Thanksgiving Day dinner in my community the first year I came home and these was things that I had envisioned when I was in prison with a life sentence I'm like Man, when I get out, I'm gonna start an annual Thanksgiving Day dinner. I'm, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna feed the community in a positive way, doing something positive as opposed to with the negativity. And I told myself on my 50th birthday, I'm gonna wake up in Africa, which I went to Africa on my 50th birthday. But I said this with a life sentence, without even knowing I was gonna be Spoken on the outside. I, I, I spoke everything in in existence, and and thank I'm thankful for Napoleon Hills. 17 Principles for Personal Achievement, uh, Keys to Success book. That book right there just opened up my mind and helped me really just uh, clear my thoughts and start thinking uh, accurately and also just putting terms and concepts on things I was doing, but I was doing them uh, unconsciously. But, but reading that book, it identified this is what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Whether that's building your mastermind alliance or whether that's you finding you a definite a purpose. You know what I'm saying? All these things to where or the law of attraction, you know, things that you don't know is is happening, but it was happening, you know, in real time where the people who was getting on my cases, on my case to work and help me on my appeal. It was like everybody was like showing up like an angel. Yeah. And, and and I'm here. And, and you got to attribute a lot of that to what you were doing as a person. Yes. Right? Of yes. Like what your real desires were and stuff. I find that to be infectious and contagious about you. I really do. Mm -hmm. Because that's like such a difficult situation, an unimaginable situation. And then, like I said, I keep going back to it, but sitting in that space and saying, I'm just, that's not me. I'm going I'm to do this. Um, how much do you attribute your going to the law library, reading those books um, putting in those appeals, things like that, versus a lawyer doing it. How much more do you think you were able to help yourself versus just a, a lawyer helping uh, you? I helped myself tremendously. 
because when the the new law came out, which was the crack law, uh, when they changed the crack law, me knowing my case, I got to know my case, got to know the ins and outs, know everything that happened. So when the opportunity came, I was able to point out what the what the what my attorney should look at, point out to him that this right here, uh, uh, it transpired, and I preserved this issue because. I actually saved my life and didn't know I saved my life. And that was during my sentencing. During my sentencing, my uh, initial sentencing, when I uh, first got found guilty back in 97, my attorney, he come to me a day before my sentencing. Now keep in mind, they supposed to speak with you at least 120 days before your sentencing. Okay. He, he come to me a day before my sentencing to review my PSI, and your PSI is your pre-sentence investigation report, where everything that they using to come up with the sentence that they came up with. So, mind you, he posed a came to me like 120 days before my sentencing, but he, he didn't do that, which when I reviewed it, the, the day of, I saw some discrepancies. And I was like, hold on, this wasn't posed this not this one's supposed to go like this. This wasn't, you know what I'm saying? So I'm explaining how I felt things were supposed to be uh, uh, materialized in my sentencing. So he looked, he was like, hmm, you know what I'm saying? Because I did a little studying prior to, uh, uh, during my trial and, and, and prior to my sentencing. So anyway, he was like, okay, I take down what you said. So when the next day we go for sentencing, uh, the judge was like, well, do Mr. Turner have any objections to the PSI? And uh, uh, the lawyer was like, well, I don't have any in particular, but Mr. Turner has some. So the judge was like, now he upset because now you bringing up a objection when proper no, proper protocol during this proceeding is you notify the judge before you come to this. You're now he upset. Time exactly. Okay. So now he upset. And you got him upset at me. You at all. Yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Because yeah, yeah, you yeah, say, Mr. Turnley got a problem. That's the wrong dude. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so when he say that, he 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 bring up what, what my uh, issue was. And my issue was when the conspiracy started, I only had one felony. And when the conspiracy ended, I only had one felony. I called my second felony when the conspiracy was over with. Ooh. So if the conspiracy is the one that drove this, you know, where started all this, then I should only be, you know what I'm saying, held accountable, well, be sentenced as having one felony. So at the prosecutor heard, the prosecutor was like, well, I feel that uh, Mr. Turner's argument is moot because he still would be facing 360 months to life with just the drugs that we attributed him with because they attributed me with uh, 20 keys of powder and a half a key of crack. You know what I'm saying? Which total out to be almost over 150 kilos. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So fast forward on up to my sentencing for the the uh, uh, the crack law. So now, being that the crack law done changed, the crack changed, I'm like, hold on. Y'all, I, I deserve some action. So now what the prosecutor saying now, Mr. Turnley, he, he ain't getting no action. He's a career offender. He had two felony convictions, plus he had a, this third one makes him eligible for a life sentence. So therefore, we don't have to change his time. He falls in the proper category. But when they go back on the record that I preserve, it shows that they waived that right. 
So now you can't come and bring up something, a whole new issue when you waived it back then. So therefore, you didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Nice job. But I saved my, you know, and I opened the door back then for me to re get some relief. Wow. Yes. And you had no idea. I had no idea. How long did you actually end up doing? 20 years. Damn. Two decades. 20 years. Yes. I started off in Beaumont, Texas. From Beaumont, Texas, I went to Edgefield, South Carolina. From Edgefield, South Carolina, I went to Memphis. From Memphis, I went to Three Rivers, Texas. From Three Rivers, Texas, I went to uh, Talladega, Alabama, and that's where I got immediate release in 2016. They called and said I won my case, and I had one hour or two hours to get off their compound. How did I want to go home? And I said, what's the fastest way? You know what I'm saying? They said, well, bus. Because your people had to drive way down here to get you. So yeah. bus. I said, well, get my bus ticket. I'm ready. What's that like when you walk out into freedom for the first time in 20 years? Man, it was, it was, it was beyond explanation. And then it was really a culture shock to be gone that long. And then... I had uh, one of the guys who uh, was at the camp, and the thing about in the feds, the people at the camp, they got access to drive you to the bus station. So one of the camp dudes who's incarcerated, you know what I'm saying? He drove me to the bus. Well, he drove me to like a Walgreens to get a phone, cause you know I didn't need a phone to call yeah. my people, let them know I'm, you know, I, they just let me go. You know what I'm saying? Which I don't even know how to work the phone. You know what I'm saying? They have, so. that, they have that song with Jelly Roll. He's uh, He's got that, that, that verse in there. He's like, give a man an iPhone, didn't know what it is. And, and that's and how... That's, that shit's crazy. And, and that's what it was. I'm talking about... But the culture shock was going inside the Walgreens and I'm seeing this, this female. She was squatting down trying to get something on the bottom rack. And her pants, she had those low riding pants. And I seen, you know, it was like, I'm like, man, hold on, because, you know, I'm just getting out of prison. So, you know, you look in prison, they finna throw you in the hole. So I'm like, turn my head and they're like, nah, this. But, yeah, it was, it was just a, a culture shock. And then being on the uh, bus, well, when I went to Greyhound, it was a, I met a little guy from Memphis. And. I, when he said we're from Memphis, I told him I was from Nashville. And we got talking, and I told him that I just got out of prison. And after I told him my story, he was like, reaching in his pocket, pulled out, you know what I'm saying, pulled out some money. He said, man, I don't never do this. He said, here you go. He gave me some money. He said, man, congratulations on making it home. Yeah. Good for you. But, yeah, I couldn't imagine that feeling. Yes. And then the culture shock. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. 20 years. Yes. Especially during the, the tech boom that occurred, right? I mean, you go from, like, phones, text. You got all these, like, Facebook, Instagram, all that shit when you get out. We didn't even have the Titans. That's what I'm saying. You didn't even have the... No, I'm saying. We didn't even have the... That wasn't even a thing yeah, yet. Yeah, we didn't even have the Titans. They were just finishing building on Bridgestone Arena. They no were just shit. working on Bridgestone Arena when I left. Cause I got arrested in 1996. So now you're back. You're doing your thing. Like yes. what? What is your? What are your goals right now? My goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, to run for public office. Okay. That's one of them. Uh, and uh, 
to continue to create opportunities for justice-impacted people and uh, try to remove some of those barriers that's in place to uh, uh, stagnant our success and our growth. And I'm speaking uh, from a uh, individual as well as a business owner. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to, you know, being a convicted felon to, for one, live in Nashville off of the wages that's in play. So uh, the, the best thing to do, or the other option is to start your own business. Mm -hmm. But it still shows up in that because they do background checks as, as, as a business owner. So it's it's trying to remove some of these some of these barriers and whether that's through social policy or just uh, uh, new policy in general with uh, the mayor, which uh, uh, hopefully uh, I can get something done with him because I'm a co-chair uh, with NOAA, which is Nashville Organized Action for Hope, and. We're working on the ordinance, and hopefully the mayor adopted. That's going to help uh, justice impacted people. Uh, plus, I'm on the Small Business Administration's uh, Regulatory Fairness Board in Washington D.C. My role there is to help business owners uh, who may feel like they're being discriminated against or feel that the regulations are unfair. And my role there is to take whatever issues they that they have with the Small Business Administration and send it to the uh, ombudsman's office in Washington, D.C., and then they'll appoint them attorney. Also, I'm with the uh, Procurement Standard Board here in Nashville, which is a metro government board here, and they deal with, or we deal with, everything from tennis shoes and soccer stadiums. And the tennis shoes is like people who ordering, uh, like the uh, uh, Davidson County, Sheriff Department ordering shoes or shoes, you know, for inmates. Mm -hmm. So anybody that get a government metro contract got to go through the uh, procurement standard board, which I'm the first convicted felon to ever serve on that board. Which is just awesome because you didn't just leave prison and go like you. You still care about those people that are there. You still you still see what that what's going on, what they're going through. You understand it. You dealt with it. Yes. Um, what do you think? Like, what would you do different? Like, if you, I'll, I'll ask you this. This is maybe a better way to put it. If you were to start your own prison, right? Yes. Or you would be like the warden yes. at a prison. You can make it however you want, but you want to rehabilitate rehabilitate people. Mm. You don't want to just put them in a cage like they are now, which is crazy. What would you do? What I would do is allow a lot of uh, mental health courses and classes, which because that's what helped me. Because I stayed in the psychology department, and and that's taking you know cage or rage, uh, or anger management, taking drug program, taking you know Napoleon Hill, taking all of these classes that was dealing with the mind or dealing with self help, because that's the only way it's gonna happen. You know, it's gonna have to start within, and and then it's gonna come out. But if you don't have the right setting, where well, a person, you know what I'm saying, can you know, utilize, you know, or go inward and bring out the best. Because it's hard to go in and bring out the best when your environment or what you're surrounded by is destruction or it's counterproductive to your growth. 
Yeah, you could go do a class, but then you go back to the yeah. You know, it, it would basically you might as well not go. Exactly, and, yeah. but that's what our students, uh, our children are faced with out here. It's like you can send them to school, but what about when they leave school? What about the conditions in their home environment, you know, or their community? If we're not trying to repair the community or invest in the community, then it don't matter what what we do in these schools because you still got to leave school. Yeah. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? And I feel that what we – it was a great question you had, you, you asked, because I actually – think that's what we need to do we need to create our own prisons no you know something that's going to be contrast to what the state or the government is offering 100 percent. that's that's and that's where i go with that because i don't think i it's not that i don't think i know that you you can't put people in in there a lot i know a lot of them are privatized too you Mm -hmm. know what i mean Mm -hmm. and but you can't go putting people in a literally it's a cage Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. on a thin mat that they consider to be a mattress, right? Like you, you're never gonna sleep good, right? You're you're constantly on guard when you're in there, right? Because you never know what's gonna happen because the environment is sick and destructive already, right? Mm-hmm. And then you you got somebody like yourself, and I know not everybody's gonna be like you, but you have somebody like yourself who's actually trying to better themselves, but not everybody's as mentally strong as you, mm-hmm. right? So the environment is so sick. Where how does that even possible at that point so i'm just kind of like i would love to see that too Mm -hmm. i want i I follow the last prisoner project a lot right Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really interesting space to be in as well because um you know you got people doing crazy time for weed and you know that's a lot of what i see on there at least but yeah so you would do you would do things real different Uh, absolutely real different because from what i've saw in there where it's like they supposed to supposedly they get or they spend from twenty seven to thirty thousand dollars a year per inmate. So if you spending that much money per inmate, and as I spoke on earlier, you getting three khaki outfits. Know what I'm saying? You know the food is 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 very undesirable. So where is the money going? And then you got kickbacks. For people in each department, each department head, if you can save money, you 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 get a bonus. Yep. So if it's an incentive to save money and not spend it where it really need to be spent, then how much? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Exactly. So here's that. That'll lead me to this question. So and I got nothing really against the police, but I see the police as a collection agency, mm-hmm. right? To protect and serve is what it says on the side of their cars. But let's be real. They're given quotas, right? What are your thoughts on that? Because, like, police, you know, you get you get somebody at the beginning of the month. I'm assuming it's monthly. Maybe it's quarterly. I don't know how it works. But you're given, you need to write X amount of tickets. Or if you don't write enough tickets, you're going to get in trouble, right? Or if you don't get a, enough collars or whatever it might be, right? They're trying to hit quotas because they're, and they're all attached to dollars at the end of the day for the mm-hmm. city. Um, what would what would be something that we could maybe maybe propose or change in that space where people feel safe around the police or they feel like when they I mean we all know this when the when a cop pulls up behind us right mm. ain't nobody like oh okay it's a police officer everybody's like fuck dude mm. right and like well, I just I would love that to change mm-hmm. right because that's a space that I've sat in before where I'm like and my stepdad was a cop for twenty years. 
but you sit in that space and you're like, fuck, man, like, I don't want to not like you. You're probably a nice guy, but, you know, have we, you know, given you too big of an ego? Is it the, your boss breathing down your neck because you got to write tickets? You know what I mean? What is it? And I I get it. They do want to keep you safe too, but I just feel like it's become all about the money. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's money, and and then it's politics, yeah, uh, with the money, and then it's uh, uh, where their roles have been expanded so so broad to where you know they got to be counselors, they got to be officers, they got to be so many different. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Take on all these different roles instead of just. Doing what, what what your role was designed to do, and then if we looking at that, where is the origin of policing? The origin of policing came from slave catchers, of them being formulated to catch runaway slaves. That's where I didn't know that. Uh, yes, that's interesting. That's where police officers came into existence, right there. And then from there, it kind of morphed during the uh, 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 what was that? Uh, Prohibition. Okay. You know, they had to have more officers to take care of, and I think that's where the federal officers came into play. But initial policing started from the slave catchers. So when you when you looking at this is what they was designed to do. They doing what they was designed to do. Literally. No, literally. But it's us in society where we got to hold them accountable when they are wrong. The same way we praise them and call them heroes when they do the right thing. Right. You know? Yeah, I've, I like I said, my, and I grew up in like white suburbia, you know? Mm. And I've been fortunate to travel around the country and meet a lot of people that have, whether they've done jail time or they grew up in a gang or they grew up in the hood or, you know, or, you know, you grew up in a nice area, whatever it might be. And, I know we were talking earlier about, you know, some of the things that you saw and that you went through. And I've been, you know, I sat in Compton with, you know, one of my buddies who's a Piru. I mm-hmm. sat in Vegas with my buddies who's a Crip, denounced, but he's a Crip, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody says the same thing, no matter where they're from, right? And you guys all have that in common, but you guys are all now people that are looking to not only see a change, but you want to be part of it, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like the more people you get to hop on board with you in every space, mm-hmm. the better off your backing is. Um, but I like that you're not you're not a power driven guy. You just want to help. That's it. I mean, that's it, man. You just want to. Yes. You really just want to help. Yes. That's super cool. That's super cool. Is there anything that you you feel like is like your number one objective right now to fix first or to help with first? Well, my number one objective is to uh, obtain a pardon. Mm-hmm. It's to obtain all my uh, to obtain my citizenship, which I'm eligible for now, and uh, I'm in the process of uh, doing the paperwork to get it. But I, like I mentioned, I got I have to receive a pardon from the governor and a pardon from the president. So whoever the president is at that particular time, I need a pardon from them and a pardon from uh, our uh, governor. So. That's what I. That's what I'm working on right now, and uh, you know, it's it's also part of that showing the reward for the change. You know, if I can do all of these great works, right? You know, here in this city, it's like okay now, with these great works, how will 
they be rewarded for all those who are thinking about changing or inspired or motivated by what I'm doing right now. You know, hopefully, uh, whatever governor that's there, uh, at that whenever uh, my my uh, pardon go through the process or whatever president, hopefully they you know they grant me some relief. Hey man, I'll advocate for that, hundred percent. I think it's really, I think it's just amazing. You know, I, what you're doing is just so cool. Where you've been and things you've done, mm-hmm. uh, but how you're moving now is just wild. Where are we at? How much time are we at? We're in an hour five. All right, cool. All right, is there anything you are really want to talk about, or have we hit a lot? We hit a lot. It's, it's we hit a lot, right, in an hour? All right, cool. Um, so I usually kind of finish up with um, one question for everybody. Okay. And uh, on a, it's a two-part question. On a scale of one to ten, how happy would you consider yourself to be? And if it's not a ten, what do you think you can do to your, get yourself to a ten or closer to a ten? I'm a ten. You're a ten? Yes, you yes. seem like a 10. I mean, yes. you really do. Yes, I'm a 10. And it's it's because of, like 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 I uh, tell people, when you got the option or you have the option to be happy or upset, which option are you going to take? Happy. I'm going to always take being happy. Yeah. And, 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 and it don't take much to make me happy. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, just – being able to watch people walk up and down the street or me being able to go in and out of my refrigerator or me being able to go and walk in and out the front door because I've been up under, for one, in an abnormal environment and also up under major restrictions where everything was restricted. I done been in, 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 in solitary confinement with two people laying on the floor with two people, know what I'm saying, uh, on the bunks, and, and and you hoping and praying that these other three people don't conspire or want to do something to you and beat you to death because you, you in the shoe, and the police come back at every, so, you know, every hour or whatever, know what I'm saying? They don't give to a where, fuck anyway. Exactly. So coming from those conditions to being out here to have any type of movement, any type of movement is progress for me. I love that answer because, I mean, even for me, who's never dealt with anything like that ever, not even kind of close, like I could never even compare. It makes me appreciate what I've had more, mm. but I still don't think I could ever appreciate it on the level you do. You mm. know what I mean? Yes. So that's why I, like, I do the pod because I want to appreciate that stuff and people that sit in different spaces and do different things. And we come from very different environments. Yes. You know, I think we had, uh, what was it? We were the... Third, I come from Rocky River, Ohio. In 2011 or 12, it was like the third least diverse city. That was when I graduated high school in mm. America, right? Mm. So just like a totally different space. Mm. Whereas now I get to see, oh, wow, you grew I didn't have to grow up wondering whether I was going to get shot. You mm. know what I mean? Or, you know, gangs and drugs. You know, I never really thought about the prison being ever a thing. But to sit down with you, to see what you've done, to see where you're at, to see how special you really are. And then like, I just, I, I can't really wrap my head around it quite yet. Hopefully I will be able to one day of, of like where your mental state swung and how you got through the, uh, the sick environment of prison and we're still able to grow mm-hmm. because I feel like most people don't, mm-hmm. 
So I think that that's super special that you were able to grow in there and that you're trying to like activate other people to do the same thing. Then anything that I could do on, on this end to help, man, I mean, let me know. Because I would love to see people getting better, not just being thrown in a cage with, you know, and saying, hey, man, see you later. Good luck. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's not cool, right? Yes. Want to help people. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. I would, and I would say the concept that I had to, to continue to grow was I didn't – I didn't care where I was at because I, I likened it to what if I went up in space on Mars or what if I went, you know what I'm saying? It don't matter where I'm at, I still got to live. Yeah. So, and that was my mindset. It don't matter where you are, you still got to live. And in the process of living, if you're not growing or you're not learning, you're not living. So it was every day I'm trying to learn something. That's got to be such a wild space to sit in because you got to be able to, you have to be at almost such a low point to even acknowledge that. Yes. Right. I experienced every emotion. I'm talking, I tapped into every emotion that you could possibly tap into. I'm talking about every one of them. And you just decide every day, today's going to be a good day. Yes. That's why, you know, I made it a habit. Every morning I got up, you know what I'm saying? It's like everybody I saw, I agree. It's good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. And it was just me, you know, constantly putting that reminder on my, in my mind, I'm going to have a good morning. So by me telling you good morning, I'm just, you know what I'm saying, reemphasizing this to myself, good morning. Good morning. You're going to have a good morning. You're like going to have a good morning. So that's how I just started doing those mental training. And then, it's like self-affirmations. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I learned through Dr. Wade Nobles where he gave his definition of power. His definition of power was the ability to define your own reality and get others to accept it as their own. So that's what I've done. I done. I, I created my own reality inside of prison. So that's when I had my own, had my clock set to military time. I said every day was Friday, you know what I'm saying? Because I love the feeling that I had on Friday. So it's like to, every day is Friday because I wanted just that, you know what I'm saying, that, those, those whatever no endorphins flowing through my body that I have on Friday like right. we all have when we know it's the weekend and I had that feeling every day because that's what I told myself it's Friday it's Friday it's Friday today is Friday so I created my own reality in there to where I was able to overcome and not become a part of the prison culture you truly define mindset is everything right yes you know what I mean? Like, your, your mindset is really everything. Well, man, LT, you're the man. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for this. And I want to do this again with you. Absolutely. For real, because right I, as, as we get rolling here, I know you're going to be doing some bigger things and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're welcome on this podcast absolutely anytime, man. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time coming down here today. Absolutely. So, shout out you. Um, watch the next episode. Like and subscribe. Um, I'll put LT stuff in the, um, in the bottom, in the comment section. Um, and then follow him on Instagram as well. We'll put that down there too. Yes. Um, but yeah, man, you keep up the good work Thank for you. real. We appreciate that. I know there's a bazillion people out there that don't even maybe know you all over this country that appreciate you, mm-hmm. um, on top of everybody around in the Nashville area who already knows who you are and, and what you're all about. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you.